the idea back in the in the Don Draper days, um, in the Mad Men days, that you could hear, overhear conversations that were once limited to the playgrounds, limited to water coolers, limited to phone calls, limited to family gatherings, those kinds of personal interactions where people are recommending products. There was no way to tap into that. There was no way to influence those. Mm. There was no way to like hear what those conversations were or guide those conversations. The idea that that would be possible was would probably be mind-blowing. Nobody could get their arms around that. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings, drinking wine in the middle of the day, I want to be a fire truck driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? This is Blake Fletcher, the Half Hour Intern. In today's episode, I interview Christy Samus about influencer marketing. So I'm not going to ruin what influencer marketing is if you don't already know that, um, because Christy, about one minute from now, is going to give a much better definition of it than I ever could. Uh, that being said, just a little bit of background on Christy. Christy is co-owner of a company called Clever Girls, which is one of the top influencer marketing companies, and they specialize in having women influencers and women in their network, which is obviously fantastic because anybody that's taken a marketing class knows that women are like the prime demographic with purchasing power. And Christy and her co-owners also wrote the book Influencer Marketing for Dummies. So the For Dummies brand came to them to write the book on influencer marketing because basically no one knows more about influencer marketing than they do. So um, she is certainly a great person to hear about all this from. So without further ado, here is Influencer Marketing. Christy, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I am really excited. Well, A, for to get some of these questions that I've like always had in my head answered, but B, for my audience that doesn't know to just get to learn what influencer marketing is. And so full disclosure to everyone, my wife, Asta, she works for you. Um, and that's how I even found out what influencer marketing is. It's uh, It's one of those things that like, you always kind of assume is a thing or maybe don't think about it much, but then you learn that A, it is a thing, but B, <laughs> it's this really big thing. Like it's not just some like little, un, you know, under the radar, barely functioning world. It is like this big thriving thing in marketing right now. And it's it's like incredible to learn about. It's one of those things where when you learn, it completely changes the way that you interact with the world. Like it changes the way you think about things. For me, like, you know, now it totally changes the way that I interact or, or that I look at things on social media. Wow. Um, so it for just like to cover the basics, if you could just explain to people what influencer marketing is. Well, sure. And actually, I want to start off by saying, aside from thank you for having me here today, um, and that Asta is awesome, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, that I'm really excited to talk with you because I'm really excited to have this kind of a platform and opportunity to speak really plainly about what we do and why it's awesome and to not feel like I have to kind of code it or sugarcoat it or put it in this kind of corporate ease coding that a lot of people tend to do. Um, when it comes to talking about marketing of any kind. So I'm really excited to just kind of dig in and speak really plainly about what it is that, um, that we're talking about. Dude, I'm stoked. And like you said, you don't have to tell the corporate line because it's yeah. your company. So you can do whatever <laughs> the hell you want. 
Well, that's true, although we would like to keep our clients, so yeah. <laughs> I'll try not to lay too many F-bombs into this conversation. Good point. All right, so influencer marketing, what the okay. heck is it? What the heck is it? Well, here, like, let me just um, quote from our book uh, the, uh, that just came out. So this is my absolutely shameless influencer marketing for dummies plug, um, where um, we write that influencer marketing is the art and science of engaging people who are influential online to share brand messages with their audiences in the form of sponsored content. I mean, that sounded like a lot of fancy words. So what are we talking in uh, plain old English? Okay, so putting the book away and all that. Um, It means basically when brands pay people who... Well, let's not even say pay. When brands want to work with people who are influential online. So you have a lot of followers on your Instagram um, and anybody who's, who's on Instagram and following Instagram has seen at least one celebrity hawking some kind of diet detox tea. Like that's just a thing. You've seen it. It happens all the time. That's what we're talking about except raising the bar on that. So it's finding people who have audiences uh, on Instagram, Pinterest, blogs, um, Twitter, Facebook. Those are our primary channels. Um, We're moving into video as well. So YouTube, Vine, Periscope, maybe Snapchat. We'll leave that. We're kind of dabbling in Snapchat. But people who have these audiences, brands want to talk to those people who have those audiences and want them talking about their brands in as organic a way as possible, given that it's marketing. Um, And they use us to help them do that. Which is interesting and funny, right? Because now on on platforms like Instagram, that that same company could just go ahead and buy their own advertisement. But rather than do that, they would rather have this person that has this following more, like you said, like quote unquote organically, but obviously it's not entirely organic, like talk about their product or have a photo with their product or whatever it is. That's right. I mean, so celebrity endorsements have been around since the concept of endorsement has been around. It's a funny word to say, by the way, endorsement. Um, (laughs) It's kind of, uh, so (laughs) I'm like, it's dork. Endorsement's a bad word, so let's not use that anymore. But, you know, uh, corporate sponsorships and celebrity celebrity spokespeople have been around since forever. And this is kind of what that is, except, you know, the whole concept has shifted because who is a celebrity, the concept of who a celebrity is has shifted. Um, It used to be only these huge names, you know, Kardashian level celebrity. um, But, and, you know, which is then ironic because they're celebrities in part because of social media. But if we go back, you know, sports people, movie stars um, were celebrities and they were untouchable and aspirational. And if they were going to endorse a product, we were going to listen because, you know, they're magical celebrity people. Um, But now celebrity has a very different um, kind of connotation and you can be a celebrity by having a big following on your, on your blog or on your Instagram um, channels. And, you know, that's just, it's just different than it used to be. Um, There are people I follow, you know, where I think, wow, if I met them in real life, I would totally fangirl out. And well, I say this uh, conditionally, but it's happened, you know, where I meet people I know from the internet and I'm like, oh my God, they're real. And I I don't know what to say to her. So I'm just going to hide in the corner. Um, but you know, if she posts something about, she's like, look at this lip gloss on me. Like that's, that's really impressive. That's different to me than somebody like Jennifer Lawrence, for instance, you know, doing a, doing a makeup ad. Like, well, she's gorgeous to begin with and she has 900 people styling her and there's Photoshopping and airbrushing. 
versus somebody who, okay, maybe they're using an Instagram filter, whatever, let's be honest. But, <laughs> but it's still this person who's, who's a normal person who, you know, who I follow, who's now wearing this lip gloss. And I'm like, yeah, that's beautiful on you. Oh, and it's like $4 at CVS. I'll remember to pick that up the next time I'm there. Right. And yeah, like you said, this is this person that you actually care about their opinion in some way. Mm-hmm. Which is huge. I think the reason that it feels or sounds so strange to people or to me when I first heard about it is like you said, the traditional idea of celebrity versus like what this is. It, there's some, it, it's weird as much as we have this love hate relationship with celebrities, right? Like we love them and we also love to like make fun of them and whatever mm-hmm. other weird cultural things we have going on. We still do accept in our mind, like, oh, yeah, like, of course, Coca-Cola wants to give Justin Bieber money. Like, duh, he's Justin Bieber. Meanwhile, we'll, like, talk crap on Justin Bieber, uh, you know, the very next day. But it's like, oh, but it's him. So it's totally cool for Coke to give him money. And suddenly when it is a, a, you know, a yoga teacher that is getting uh that lululemon or however you pronounce that company is like giving them uh money to you know wear their pants or talk about their pants or whatever it is that is suddenly strange you know it's like wait wait her you know and and i think a difficult i think a difficult part of it for most people and and i guess um, the more difficult part for most people is when justin bieber talks about coca-cola it becomes very, uh, you know, it's like, okay, the only reason Justin's talking about this is because he's getting paid right now. So the advertisement portion of it becomes somewhat obvious, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. with somebody that you like talking about their uh, their yoga pants, it's like, well, there's people without a lot of followers that also talk about yoga pants that aren't getting paid anything. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, you reach some sort of threshold with your followers and you might be getting paid for that. So how do I, as the follower of somebody know if they're getting paid and like what sorts of regulations are on uh, you know around this world yeah well that's a um there's a lot of content to dig into there and um, but i'll try to keep it you um sane um because this is my this is my life so a few things um way there are a lot of regulations are, now granted some people ignore them but they 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 get dinged um there are a lot of regulations around uh, posting sponsored content and being sponsored and what you can say and can't say. Uh, the most important thing to back up one step, though, is that I think there's still, um, and we've been doing this for seven years, um, but I was involved in this for three or four years before that. Um, so, I mean, really, since this industry came in, came to be an industry, uh, so I'm not just making this stuff up, and I didn't just decide that this was a thing that we should do a few months ago. Um, but one of the misperceptions that existed years ago and exists now is that, oh, well, you're paying people to say good things about your brand. Um, we don't trust you because you're paying good, you, you know, you're paying people to say good things. And how do I know if I can trust this content? And how do I know if it's being sponsored or not? Well, there's two pieces. Um, and this is why I'm glad we can talk kind of plainly. Um, everybody, if you're getting paid, um, everybody knows, everybody should know that you're getting paid. Um, and so you have to disclose that you've been sponsored. You have to say in a tweet that it's, uh, you know, use the hashtag ad. You have to let people know that this is, this is sponsored content coming from the brand, first of all. So you can't just, you can't just randomly talk about a product that somebody's paying you to talk about and then not say that 
you got that for free or that you're being paid to do it. And now you guys as a company, because this is your business, I'm sure actually are making sure that your clients <laughs> yes. are doing these things. Yes. Um, and our clients, you know, that's one of our selling points is that we can guarantee this safety um, for our brands that we are complying with all of these FTC guidelines. Um, there are lots of brands who don't want to do that. They don't want people, they want it to seem totally organic. Like out of nowhere, we're just going to randomly talk about what good quality these yoga pants are. Both sides of have, the party, right? Because also yeah. then the person that's posting with the yoga pants doesn't want to seem like some sort of sellout or something. Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. So, what we think and, and what has proven to be true is that the, the point of influencer marketing isn't to have people who have big followings online praise brands so that, you know, in an inauthentic way. Um, everybody's savvier than that. We're all savvier than that. Millennials in particular are savvy. And when I say millennials, you know, we're talking about a particular age group, but we're also really just talking about the quote unquote connected generation it has a lot less to do with age than it has to do with your media consumption habits. Uh, so we're talking about people who can't like go anywhere without their phone, for instance. I'm, you know, I'm, there are times when I would leave my wallet, but take my phone. Uh, <laughs> so that kind of person um, who's connected all the time. Anyway, um, there we're savvier than ever and, and we're connected all the time. And we know, we know BS when we smell it and it's not hard. So if, if we asked a blogger to go, and this happened actually early on, um, when this industry was still figuring itself out, we had brands come to us and say, here's what we want the bloggers to say. And we would come back to them and say, absolutely not. You can't give them words to say. The reason you're working with these people is because they have developed an audience of their own, using their voice, using their words, using their images, telling their stories. They're, they have an impact because of that voice. As soon as you try to like interrupt that voice and shove your corporate words into their mouths, there's no purpose in working with them. You may as well just put a banner ad on the side. Because it's, it's inauthentic and people will know it and they'll smell it and they'll hate it mm -hmm. and they'll react really negatively. So let them tell the story they want to tell. Let them be honest about it. And so it's not just like, these are the best yoga pants I've ever had in my whole life ever. It's going to be like, I tried these on and you know what? These feel more durable than this other pair I tried. The elastic might be a little, pinching me a little bit more. Um, but, you know, but here's what I liked about it. And they just have to be real and they have to be authentic. It doesn't have to be all positive. It just has to be, um, well, I'm repeating myself, but it just has to be real and authentic. Mm -hmm. Christy, I have like so many questions on my sheet of paper. <laughs> so I think I'm going to try to go through them more quickly than I would on a usual okay. interview. Um, so for one, how big of brands reach out to you? Like, is this something that only little mom and pop or small brands do or are big brands embracing this now? Well, that's a good question. And actually it's, um, Obviously, my, my opinion is affected by my experiences. So for our company, we tend to work almost exclusively with large brands um, because it takes, frankly, a lot of budget to, um, to do a program at the size that we're talking about. I mean, we, we can activate 50, 100, 200, 500 
influencers for one campaign. That takes a lot of time, a lot of planning, a lot of resources. Um, and so even just to recoup our overhead or to make any sort of profit, um, our, our fees are high for a small company. Um, so we tend to work with larger brands. That said, the concepts, the concepts of influencer marketing are powerful no matter what size the business is. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't necessarily need to hire us. You can do it yourself. It's just time consuming and you want to you know, go in with a plan and understand how it's supporting the other marketing tactics you're using um, because it's not, I will say that influencer marketing is not a standalone marketing tactic. If it's your, if it's the only piece of your marketing plan, um, it probably won't be that effective. But so we are in a mature phase of influencer marketing. It's not something that just all these little early adopters are doing. Like there's big real companies doing this. That's right. Um, And I will say that they've been doing it for a long time. The phrase influencer marketing didn't really exist, certainly didn't exist when we began. Um, We we didn't, I mean, nobody really knew what to call it. And this is a really important point, I think, um, that this phrase, influencer marketing, has finally kind of stuck. Uh, it's it, it means something. It, it it explains what we do more so than some of the other phrases we've used. I mean, we were once a blogger network. We were once a social media agency, but that was too broad. Blogger network was too narrow. Um, other people were talking about native advertising. Well, native advertising is a confusing term because it means different things to different platforms. So that got everybody confused. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about content creation and just all kinds of phrases all over the place. And influencer marketing seems to be powerful. Um, and a lot of people un- seem to intrins- intrinsically now understand the value that it brings, especially as we're talking about um, ad blocking and, you know, influencer marketing can do what banner ads can't um, and can do what uh, banner ads never could. It's it's this real palpable, um, well, I can get into all of that, but mm. but it is, I think it's mature in that, okay, we're here now. It has all of this prior stuff, the bloggers, Blogger outreach, uh, native advertising, content creation has all kind of come to this one place and under this giant influencer marketing umbrella, and the industry is really starting to get defined and, and define itself. Hmm. Hmm. How much can an influencer get paid? Like, what are some kind of standard rates per? Is it like per thousand users, or like what terms do you guys talk in, or great. followers? I should say. What a great question. Um, I will, again, I'll speak pretty plainly on this. It is kind of the Wild West right now um, in that respect. I mean, we're, as I right after, two seconds after I say, we've kind of been defined, it's been defined. Uh, we move into like, well, um, it depends on a lot of things. Um, sometimes, yes, obviously you have to have a certain amount of followers in order to command a certain price. Um, I mean, we have, we have a fashion or we, we polled some people on Instagram and asked how much, how much do you get paid? Um, and we had a fashion blogger who posts lovely images who had about maybe 10,000 followers on Instagram who said she gets paid $600 per image. That's insane. Uh, it is insane. And that's how much she commands. And, and okay, that's good to know. Thanks so much. Um, we have, you know, some, you know, so anywhere from, I mean, there are people who have just a couple hundred or a few thousand followers who will get paid a kind of depends on the program or what we're asking them to do. We have some people who are kind of pseudo celebrities and because, and by that, I mean, have been on television um, or were professional athletes who get paid a couple thousand dollars um, for one image. There's a couple people in our network on Instagram who have, who aren't celebrities necessarily outside of this, but who have 200, 300, 500,000 followers 
um, and actually one who has over 2 million followers, and they get paid um, $10,000 for a single image on Instagram. That's absolutely insane. And, and for, I mean, for the person that's only has 10,000 followers, that's getting 600 bucks. It's like, dude, you post a few pictures a month and you pay for your mortgage, you know, like that's just totally crazy. Well, and, but, and then the question is like, how often does that happen for her though? Because she can't really justify it in terms of reach or engagement. So I don't know how many, how many gigs she's getting at that rate. Um, but, and that's Instagram. Then blogging is a whole nother world. I mean, you know, and so what, what we do, um, what we take into consideration isn't simply their audience that matters. Of course it matters because that's what we have to report back on to the clients. But what also matters is the quality of their work and, and what we're asking them to do. So to go back to the earlier point where some people think that influencer marketing is about paying people to say good things. Um, it's not, it's, it's also, um, thinking of these influencers as a extension of your marketing, uh, marketing team. And so they deserve to be paid. I mean, if we're asking somebody to go to the store, to buy a particular product, to come back to their house, to create a unique recipe with that product, to blog the entire, you know, to blog the recipe, to take photos, to take beautiful photos, and then post the whole blog post and also pin those images. That's a whole lot of work. That is a lot of work we're asking them to do. And to say, you know, oh, well, you'll get paid in product is just, that's not, you know, we hope nobody's doing that anymore. We hope nobody's accepting that kind of, um, compensation. Uh, you really deserve to be compensated for your time. And that's, that's regardless of how big your following is. I mean, that's just work you're doing no matter, you know, whether you have 200 followers or 200,000 followers. In an instance like that, with that blog post, like how and when and where would they state that this was paid for, like, or that this is an advertisement per se? Um, usually at the beginning of their post. Um, so, um, you know, we've worked with, uh, all kind, all manner of, of food companies. And so at the beginning, they'll be like, you know, this, this post was brought to you by, you know, Acme chocolate. And, you know, I hope you enjoy this recipe and the recipe will get posted or pinned regardless. If it's a good recipe, it's a good recipe. Right. Of course. Yeah. You know, and, and it's really powerful and that's what we're talking about. I mean, it's really powerful to have these amazing chocolate recipes, frankly. I mean, they were ridiculously amazing. Um, and you know, one's been repinned, um, I don't know, 20, 30, 40,000 times because it's just gorgeous. And so people are pinning this and, and downloading this recipe. They can choose not to use the chocolate that the, um, that the sponsored poster used, but it's there and that's what she's recommending for that particular recipe. And that's what she used and that's what worked for her. So, you know, it's powerful without being like, I like this chocolate. This chocolate <laughs> is good. Yeah, <laughs> you know? no, totally, totally. Now there are all these websites and you get hit up by people that will try to give you fake followers. Like mm-hmm. how, how do you know what's going on there? You know, like somebody has like 50,000 followers or something. Like how do you know that they're actually 50,000 real followers? What a great question. Um, so the, and we were just talking about this today because we had a, a client who said that they've, they've had trouble before. They've gotten burned before because they picked, you know, they selected people who had big numbers, but the, the campaign did nothing and went nowhere. Um, the best the best um, indicator of, of, of followers being real followers is engagement. Um, engagement is kind of the new impressions. Um, and in our industry, that means a lot. Uh, maybe to people who aren't in our industry, I'm speaking gibberish. But um, engagement is really the new metric that everybody cares about. Not that they didn't care about it before, but um, it matters now as much, if not more, than, uh, than somebody's reach. And in part, I think that's because... Um, 
we've all kind of been burned by too many, you know, by, by fake impressions. So what I'm saying is if somebody claims to have 50,000 followers or 50,000 whatevers, um, and then they post, you know, good content and there's no comments, there's no retweets or regrams or comments or likes or anything on it, then those aren't real followers. That's just a number laying somewhere. Right. Um, you know, that's, that's the easiest answer. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you have to ask your clients and not the clients, the Instagrammers or bloggers or whatever, but the clients, the, the companies coming to mm-hmm. you, do you ask them for their own marketing info or do you give them discounts or like, do you pay them then for their marketing info on how successful campaigns were? Because I guess it's interesting, right? Like you, <laughs> that's info that only they're going to know from that point forward. Like, so it's, it's difficult for you to collect info on how successful your own stuff is. Yeah, we're gonna have to hire you because you're you just you're <laughs> you're getting at all of these um these pain points very quickly. Yeah, so um realistically, we have a tough job because we are. I mean, almost regardless of what we're doing, we are middlemen, um, and often we're not even hired directly by the brand. We're hired by the brand's agency. So the brand is working with a PR agency who then hires us to do this one piece of the puzzle. And and again, you know, we want to support a much larger marketing plan or a much larger PR plan. Um, we're successful when we're working in conjunction with other methods. Um, but it is very hard for us to see the fruits of our labor if we're not, if we're not linked to or told or, or able to get at sales data in particular. Mm-hmm. So, so what we do do and what we're limited to doing uh, is reporting on our activity. So if somebody says to us, you know, just go back to the chocolate recipe um, example, we want to have, we want people to know that we have this baking chocolate available in grocery stores. And we want, you know, we think that there can be a lot of people using it in advance of Valentine's Day. So what can you do? So we put together this program where we have 50 um, bloggers who do go to the store, buy the chocolate, come home, create these beautiful recipes, do all the stuff that we talked about and, and post these things to Pinterest. And what we can report is, okay, how many people participated in this program? What was their, you know, how many people looked at their blogs that month? How many people, um, you know, clicked on the coupon that we included in that post? How many people went to the website from those posts? Um, How many people shared those pins? Or how many people were, um, how many followers did those pins have to begin with? How many times were those pins shared? Those kinds of numbers that kind of activity is what we can report on. And then we do just kind of have to hope, um, and that's a terrible word in marketing, but we have to kind of hope that those numbers are plugged into larger formulas and um, that somehow um, further down the line, it's it's tracked to sales data and sales metrics that allow them to understand, okay, we spent this percentage of our marketing budget on influencer marketing and overall our ROI was this. And therefore we can at least assume that the same percentage we spent was how much of that um, return. Am I making sense? Totally. Well, I guess it's almost better off for you to not know that that data (laughs) because uh, now that I think about it, it's like, no, I mean, in no other classic forms of media would anyone know that data anyways. Like if you purchase a commercial on television, uh, like freaking Comcast isn't going to tell you like, oh, your sales are going to go up by 10% if you buy an ad. Like right. that you, everyone's just freaking, you know, or taking billboard. a shot in the dark. Or a print ad. Yeah. Or, I mean, or even a banner ad. I mean, we, we, okay. So here's the, the crux of what I was hoping we could get to. Um, 
because we've been talking a lot about this. I mean, our, our industry, such as it is, I think is at a really interesting point. I think it's it's the first piece of it has matured, as you said, and I think we're all kind of getting ready for what influencer marketing becomes. Um, it's estimated now that it's a five to ten billion dollar industry, um, and there's new players all the time. So where we're coming from is um, you, the a long time ago, when we think of marketing, we think of advertising and think of Don Draper, you know, because why not? Um, and, I mean, he's easy on the eyes, so you might as well think of him. Easy on the eyes. Um, and so he's standing in a room talking about what, what the American public wants and how to, frankly, how to manipulate them, but also just what advertising tactics work? What resonates with people? Why, you know, why people are motivated to purchase things? I mean, that hasn't changed. Um, and at that time, I mean, y- you had very, a brand, a company had very limited ways of reaching people. Um, ideally, most people make decisions based on, and this is universally true, people make purchasing decisions based on personal recommendations. That's number one. That is the number one reason they make decisions is because other people have recommended a particular product. And so the idea back in the, in the Don Draper days, um, in the Mad Men days, that you could hear, overhear conversations that were once limited to the playgrounds, limited to water coolers, limited to phone calls, limited to, you know, family gatherings, those kinds of personal interactions where people are recommending products. There was no way to tap into that. There was no way to influence those. Mm. There was no way to like hear what those conversations were or guide those conversations. Um, the idea that that would be possible was, would probably be mind-blowing. Nobody could get their arms around that. Well, here we have, you know, decades later, social media, and that's exactly what it has offered to brands and advertisers. You can be and hear and see and, and track those conversations. Somebody's making a recommendation on Facebook. Somebody's making a recommendation on Twitter. Somebody's having a conversation through email. Somebody's, you know, they're having these recommend, these brand, these conversations that involve brands and you can actually see them and track them and take part in them. I mean, that's crazy. So what makes us crazy in this world is that we're still using Mad Men era metrics to gauge how successful a campaign was Mm. Um, because, you know, so it went from circulation, like, okay, well, how many eyeballs saw this newspaper? And that's what we're going to use to judge how successful an advertisement in this newspaper was. Well, because they don't know. I mean, how else do you calculate it? Like if five people saw the newspaper and sales went up this much versus 500 thousand people saw this newspaper and sales went up this much. So the circulation numbers eventually became banner ad numbers. How many people, how many eyeballs, how many impressions is this banner ad getting? And then all of a sudden you enter the social media world where we should be looking at so much more rich data and the the quality of the interactions and the quality of the conversations and what people are really saying and the sentiment and and what's going on behind the content and instead we're trying to like force these these ugly um, overbearing impersonal impressions numbers that we used for circulation and for banner ads on these conversations when there's so much more data to get Totally. Um, it's so it's so terrible and interesting. And I'm it's I'm really happy you brought this up because this is something that's like one of the most frustrating things to my wife. And whenever she brings it up to me, like I can't believe it either. This idea of just straight up quantity over quality yeah. is 
is so short-sighted and so mm-hmm. ill-thought-out that like, hey, um, you know, you guys will have companies that come to you and just say, could you just set me up with uh, the people that have like a million-plus followers or whatever? And it's like, well, how much do that does that person with a million-plus followers, how much do their followers like really give a shit what they have to mm-hmm. say? You know, like mm-hmm. if the person with a million-plus followers was just on two seasons ago of The Bachelor and just still happens to have, you know, a million people left over because they were really big a couple seasons ago. But by the way, even a couple seasons ago, no one cared what they have to say. They just are following them for whatever reason versus somebody who is like, the voice of an industry that someone is just like really, really plugged into. And like you said, like on a, on a blog that just gets hundreds of comments on a post on their blog or something. Um, clearly you should take the person with a lesser audience that get hun- that gets hundreds of comments and not just this person that has, you know, wide reach, but no depth whatsoever. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's when numbers backfire. There's lots of reasons why, you know, we're, we're counting the wrong thing and looking at it the wrong way. Um, because that's what we're used to, and and that's what that's what entire marketing departments have been have been based on for years, decades. So it's really imp- it's really hard and and to undo that. And so when we have people coming to us and just saying like, you know, well, at the end of the day, we need this to get four million impressions. We're like, well, okay, okay, that's not a that's not really a goal. That <laughs> that's not strategic, and that's not a goal. But sometimes that's just the reality of of this world and we're trying to change it. And I think it will. I think, you know, as technology um, continues to just wow me, I mean, it's just amazing what we can do. Um, you know, we're, we're getting better, better data. And, and the more better data we have, uh, the more better things we can report on. Yeah. You're absolutely right about, you know, okay, well, we want somebody with a million followers. And you're like, well, why? The other piece of that, the second piece of that too, isn't just who, but again, it's, it's what is it what is it you're asking them to do? And this is the other huge disconnect that we still see. It's better than it used to be, but it's still pretty huge. Is this shift from the brand controlling the message to the brand letting go of the message? Um, and, you know, we're, we try to explain that we're going to find people who are going to be kind to your brand, who want to work with your brand, who are excited to work with your brand. Um, but they they need to do it their own way. That's why this is effective. It's as you know, as I mentioned before, it's not effective if you hand them the language to say, or you give them eight hundred million um, parameters that they have to operate within. That's not natural. And at this point, you're basically hiring people to be ads for you, right. and that's not what we want to do. That's not what we want to do. We want to have these people be brand advocates, not advertisers. And my favorite thing to say is like, you know, Megan a mom of three in the middle of the country who's an amazing home cook isn't a media unit. She's not an ad unit. She is Megan, this mom uh, of three in the middle of the country who is a fantastic home cook and, and realizing that they're human beings and that's why it's effective. Um, and the, le- you know, the, the more you automate it and the more humanness you take out of it, the less effective the advertising becomes. Man. Amen. Absolutely. Um, Christy, Talk about influencer animals and influencer children. Like you guys have got a hedgehog in your network, right? We have a couple hedgehogs in our network now. How is there more than one hedgehog? I didn't even know there were like more there than are- one a hedgehog. I thought it was an endangered species or something. I I am unfamiliar with um, how endangered they are or not, but we also have chinchillas. That's another thing. Oh, um, so soft. So soft. So, um, yes. I mean. 
I joke about it. I uh, on stage was giving a, a, a talk about our industry and joked and the audience didn't really laugh, which, okay, we'll, we'll blame it on my timing or delivery. But the reality is no matter how far the internet comes, animals, children will always, always um, be popular. You can never go wrong. You can never go wrong with, with those kinds of influencers. And the reason, of course, I mean, if you dig into it is they can't be inauthentic. They're, I mean, you know, as soon as you've, well, I say that, like, I'm sure you can, you can be an ultimate stage mom or dad, <laughs> you know, and, and prop up your kid, kid with a can of Coca-Cola. Like, wow, I love my Coke. And it's like a yeah. one-year-old baby. But it's pretty, I mean, with kids, it's even almost easier than with adults to tell if they've been, if they've been coached. So, I mean, we crave authenticity. We do um, more than ever. I mean, again, this comes with our, the millennial, you know, the millennial generation, the connected generation people who are just extraordinarily media savvy are, are hungry for authenticity. We love ads that we, you know, we say that we like humor and of course we do, but what tends to be humorous is just honesty, um, you know, and just calling it out. And, you know, one of the favorite, one of my favorite things to see on Twitter, and I still use Twitter. I know I'm kind of like a holdout cause I, I, I still really like it as a medium, but um, I love it when brands tweet at each other. And, you know, just kind of keeping it real and like, of course they exist and of course they know each other. And just, um, you know, so, so aside from the immediate emotional connection we have to animals and children and also sports um, and that those images tend to speak to us and food, of course, um, that you can't, you can't have an animal be inauthentic. And so, you know, you have an animal doing something funny and, and have it sponsored. Great. Cause everybody gets that that's just real. Um, yeah. So who, like, who wants to advertise with animals, though? <laughs> well, um, we do have a lot of pet clients, so that's an easy one. You know, we have a, a, a new line of, I'm, I'm not sure who I'm allowed to say and not, but let's just pretend I'm allowed to talk about, um, Rachel Ray has a new line of pet food called Nutrish, um, because we know that Rachel Ray doesn't like, likes to abbreviate words. Mm-hmm. Um, so Nutrish is uh, a new dog food for cats and dogs. I love it when people abbreviate a word by only taking off like one or two letters. And it's uh, like, so oh, man, you were almost there. So close. Well, and, you know, she loves to say EVOO. That's extra virgin olive oil. Well, <laughs> yeah. Defeated that whole. Yeah. Uh, anyway. So, yeah, I mean, pet food, obviously, and, and pet companies. Um, but here's here's where our job can be really fun. And, you know, I, I always hope that it will be fun this way is when you take something that's perhaps a dry topic like mortgages or insurance um, and, or taxes or something related to taxes or something like appliances that aren't necessarily fun or emotionally engaging or sexy. um, And, and they let us kind of think about, okay, what, is going to resonate on social media. What what do people want to share? What do people care about? What's going to be the thing that makes me say, oh, I'll share this. Oh, I'll retweet this. Oh, that's cool. I'll do that. I mean, I watched a video today. It has nothing to do with us. I watched a video today from Prudential um, where they had a, they made a video of people who um, just had to look at each other. The people had relationships and they had to look at each other for four minutes mm. in, in the eyes. Um, 
it was like a father and a daughter and brother and sister, mother, son, a married couple. And, you know, by the end of the four minutes, they're all crying and like, they just were really touched. And it was just, it was lovely. And I was sobbing by the end of it. Um, and that was a fantastic, and the idea was, oh, we want to stay, you know, relationships are important. You should protect yours. So, mm. you know, that's, but that's the kind of content people will absolutely share. And they don't care that it was sponsored. They don't care. I mean, you know, hopefully they'll remember who sponsored it. They're, that's always a problem if you get too esoteric. But, um, but, and that's not unlike TV commercials. That's not unlike any ads you've, you know, throughout history. Is that if it if it sparks something emotional, you want to you you care about it, you remember it, and now through social media, you want to share it. Yeah. Um, so trying to figure out what that what that's going to look like or how to take a message and and make it appropriate for sharing online is is a fun challenge to have, and we love it when our clients give us the freedom to do that. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you guys ever have, let's say, like uh, KY or Trojan or someone <laughs> like that, like come to you as a company and be like, hey, we're looking for like this type of influencer. Do you have anybody in your demo yeah. like that? Like, do you have any like strange categories of influencers? So we don't have a category necessarily of those types of bloggers. So yes, our method is to go to our network and, and you know, which is a closed network. Allow and- people to just volunteer. Yeah. Yeah. Good call. Good call. <laughs> Do you have any types of influencers or types of companies that you refuse to work with? Like, has this happened in the past where someone's reached out to you, either on the influencer company side, and you're like, sorry, we ain't doing that? Yes. Uh, and what a good question. Um, yeah. Uh, and usually it's because we cannot guarantee any, um, any sort of brand safety. And, and we care very much about that. We're not going to take on work that we know is going to go sideways um, or that is has a high likelihood of going sideways. Um, and often, you know, that's when it's controversial, not overtly controversial. I mean, you know, th- there's that too. Um, but for instance, I'll give you a couple examples. Um, this year we had a, we, we hosted a Twitter chat during the Academy Awards, actually during the red carpet before the Academy Awards. But we had a very long conversation with our client about that because there was so much controversy, controversy about the Academy Awards and how white they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Oscars so white is a hashtag that that continued for months leading up or weeks leading up to the Oscars and then all, all that night. And we had to say to the brand, that's going to be a hashtag that trends. That's just going to be a conversation that people are having. And it's a sensitive topic and there's going to be lots of racial discussion. Um, and it's not going to be positive for the most part. Do you want your brand and your brand's hashtag in the middle of this um, because that's what's going to happen. Hmm. And the brand said, yes, we're aware of it and we're okay with that. We know that that's going to happen. We're going to try and steer our conversation in a very positive direction. So great, we went ahead with it. Um, but there are other instances where it's it, where when it's not kind of in a real-time situation where things can just go awry and or, you know, we try not to force our political views on anything, but often if if our political views are being compromised then it's not just going to be ours it's going to be a lot of a lot of people's and it's going to go it's going to go sideways um right so yeah if it, it if it's a very like culturally sensitive uh, mm-hmm. thing and like a company is coming to you and wants to advertise that you kind of know look even if one of our bloggers is cool with that or one of our instagrammers is cool with that as soon as they post this photo or whatever it they might just get a ton of backlash on their instagram yes. and now that's not good for anyone it's not good for the product it's not good for the instagrammer that's right and sometimes social media is a place that certain brands should just stay away from. i mean we've seen 
you know, and, and cringe. I mean, when, when at some of these just terrible errors in judgment that, well, I mean, have you been following Bodie McBoatface? <laughs> I just heard about Bodie yesterday. It's probably the coolest thing ever. And I know I, I kind of love it. I mean, that's what happens when you bring things to the internet. Like, but somebody could have told that person that that's what was going to happen. I mean, of course that was going to happen. So, I mean, you know, and so there's, J.P. Morgan had a, I mean, this is one of the most um, notorious ones, but J.P. Morgan decided to have a, a, a Twitter chat with the, with the CEO of J.P. Morgan. And it was like, oh, it, it didn't, it was not good, uh, where they just opened up questions to Twitter. Um, and that was hijacked and brought down awfully fast. Oh, and who, who bet, could not yeah. have, pers- you know, and if you're not willing to go online and answer these really horrible um, biting questions with good information, because either because you weren't expecting or don't have the good information, then stay away. Don't do it. Um, but that's uh-huh. rare. I mean, it, those companies are rare where we're like, oh my gosh, just stay off social media completely. Um, I'll give you another example, though. Uh, <laughs> I, I won't mention the brand, but last year, not this past year, um, the previous October, um, we know that October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month and that the NFL is a big supporter of Breast Cancer Awareness Month and they wear pink. Um, Well, one of the products that was going to come out during that month was a um, a, a oral care brand who has a partnership with the NFL and they were going to release a mouth guard. Um, And it was pink. It was a pink mouth guard, Um, which fine. Um, You know, so it was to raise awareness for breast cancer in this mouth guard. Okay. The problem um, was that, as you may recall, this was right at the time the Ray Rice video was released. Right. And um, the there were many, many discussions and allegations about the NFL purporting um, domestic violence. Of course. And so for the NFL to then come out with a pink mouth guard for women um, was would have been a disastrous product. Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, I'm trying not to laugh because it's it was an unfortunate decision on a lot of parts. Um, but the idea that we could go to our bloggers and have them promoting a mouth guard for women for the NFL was one of the most potentially disastrous programs I could have possibly imagined. How um, bizarre that people can't see that for themselves. <laughs> you know that it takes that. like you guys to say, yeah, I don't know about that. We're not going to do that. And so we said no. And then um, about a week later, the the product was never launched. Hmm. The product was never um, brought to stores. So yeah, yeah there's a couple of those. Well, um, I just want to go on record as saying that I think that Bodie McBoatface is one of the great <laughs> triumphs of the internet. Like, I think that's one of the better things that's ever happened because of I, the internet. That sending a pit bull to Alaska. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't even know that was a thing. Oh, that was, yeah, they had a contest about what, what, you know, vote for your town to have Pitbull come to a live concert there. And somebody put on like the, you know, some remote reach in uh, Alaska and then people got wind of that and everybody voted for it. Um, That's sent him far, so far away. But funny. then he went and he did the concert all in good, all in good spirit. So yeah, it ended up, he kind of won that in the end, but yeah. yeah. Well done, mm-hmm. Pitbull. All right. Bodie McBoatface is, uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, the boat of a generation, you know. Uh, <laughs> um, so let's um, let's try to give some advice to 
the everyman who could have their own Instagram or their own um, blog or whatever it is. So first of all, is it better to be big across like four or five different platforms or just to really, really, really focus on one platform or is there some sort of like magic combo number in between? My answer is different today than it would have been not too long ago. Um, I I think in general now things are very... um, um, disparate. Uh, we want we work cross platform, but I really think it's okay for somebody to focus on one platform. Um, often our our influencers kind of have one or two, um, but it, it it also depends on the discipline. So it depends on what kind of content you're trying to share. Um, if it's so, I have um, a friend who has a website that's very funny. It's kind of like you know college humor. It's called tastefully offensive. offensive. Um, and it's all, you know, he, he, it's just funny content that he posts often first that gets circulated around the internet. Um, and his, his, um, litmus test is whether his mom will find it funny or not. So his primary place to post content is his blog, which is a blogger blog. Um, but he has Tumblr. He has, you know, he, obviously he has Facebook page. He has, um, Instagram He's on Twitter, but he feels that all of those really are there to push traffic to his primary site. They're all like advertising channels to his main site. And the most important thing for him is to churn out content on his blog. Right. Um, so depending on what type of, co- that's great for a humor site. Um, but, you know, you can, there's, there's, a, there's a ton now of very big, very funny Instagram accounts that repurpose a lot of other people's content and, you know, that, that get pretty big and are getting pretty big deals um, and are turning into uh, corporate entities because they have such a big following can do that um, without having been anywhere else. You know, maybe they have a Facebook page because it's a little bit easier to contact them through, but that's not their primary source or or place of um, content. So I think it's really okay now to really focus on one. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Does it seem like there's any sort of pattern to success on social media? Like, again, in terms of advice for people looking to maybe like grow their network or something, like how could someone stand out? Um, I think... And this this hasn't changed actually. Um, I do think it's important to have a niche, even if your niche is some. I mean, this is going to sound um, um, like an oxymoron, but even if your niche is a little bit broad, to be able to say what it is that you post. So if you're like, ah, oh, just a little bit of everything. Oh, I just kind of I'm doing everything. Um, that's what everybody posts. Everybody posts everything. Um, so to, <laughs> so Very good point. you know, I mean, so I, I think of this like a marketer, but, um, but I think that's how you have to, if you want to specifically grow your audience and that's really important to you, have a hook. What's your hook? What is it that you're posting? Why do people want to be there? That's the first step. And the second step is really um, making sure that you produce a lot of content. The, the way to grow followers always has been and always will be to post consistently. Um, and it's easier than ever to to find content, to curate content. Um, you know, you don't have to create it all yourself. You, of course, want original content, but you can supplement that with curated content and, you know, and, and do your best to find good stuff and just keep it up, you know, keep up and, and, and um, you know, and then there's other little, not little, but there's other important tactics like reaching out and making sure that you're following people and that they know about you and 
there's, you know, we could do entire sessions on how to grow your following. But the most important thing I think is having a hook and being really consistent about how often you post. Hmm, interesting. Christy, I'm going to go ahead and uh, end this episode differently than I've ever ended one before, which is to <laughs> give you a little soapbox to go ahead and, and <gasps> explain like why you're really inspired by this and why you like this a lot and why you think it is this great thing that you believe in. Because uh, again, I think that a lot of people when they first hear about um, influencer marketing, it's kind of like, whoa, you mean that I'm being like lied to or that this is this thing going on that I don't know what's happening. So tell people why it's a totally cool, totally great thing that you love. Wow. Well, that's opening quite a big door. But um, well, to start off, I want to say that anybody who hears this, I don't want them thinking, well, she's just saying that because that's what she does for a living. This is why I do this for a living, um, because I'm passionate about it, because I believe in it, because I've recognized <laughs> from a very early age, you know, I'm the kid walking around singing advertising jingles at age four, <laughs> you know, that I like marketing. I like advertising. It's part of our lives. It's, it, it's, it's inescapable. Um, and you can kind of hate that and many people do. Um, but you, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things that we have to live with and kind of, I want to make the best out of and make it enjoyable and make it not suck. This is to me the, our opportunity to change that and to have advertising be more honest than it's ever been and have it just be what it was intended to be. Like I have a new lipstick out and I think it's great. And I want people to know that it exists because they won't buy it if they don't know it exists. And so I ask people to try it and I let them have it, you know, for free maybe, or I ask them to try it and let people know what they think. And they put it on and they take a picture of themselves with it. And they're like, hey, this is what this lipstick looks like on me. And, you know, it. I'm pretty sensitive to cosmetics and this didn't bother me. And I just think that this, this color looks really good on, uh, you know, with my skin, with my skin tone. And that's just, that's just real. That's just, that's just a real message. And it, and it just takes all of this grossness out of advertising. Um, it just takes all of that, like being talked down to and condescension and, um, you know, being manipulated out of it uh, and, and makes it really just about, letting people know that it exists and, and putting it in other people's words and trusting the consumer. Um, and, you know, acknowledging that the consumer really is the decision maker and, and has the ultimate voice. Um, you can guide it, but the consumer is going to kind of make those decisions for you. Um, that's, that's where I'm coming down on that. I, I think it's more honest. I think it's more fun. I think it's more powerful than any other form of advertising. So well, now I do too. So I'm really happy that uh, that I had you on the show. Now I won't be so weirded out when I see uh, when I see those like you know those input advertising. As long as they're done well, like you said. I mean, I guess yeah. that's a really important thing, right? As long as they don't suck. I mean, we want advertising to not suck. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I promise that, like, if we're hanging out, I don't even say any of these things. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like a normal person. Um, that doesn't just talk about this, although I, I do eat, sleep, and breathe it. So yeah. Christy, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show. I'm so happy that uh, that my wife works for your company. This uh, has been awesome. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me again. I really appreciate it. And um, congratulations on being featured in iTunes. Thank you so much. Hey, everyone. It's Blake. Hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you're sitting there thinking to yourself... 
And I wonder how I could help Blake out. First of all, you are probably the nicest person in the entire world. Secondly, all you have to do is just tell a friend about the show. I would really appreciate it. If you're sitting there and thinking, man, my job is really interesting, or man, I do this totally badass hobby. I should totally be on this show then you totally should be on the show. Just reach out to me on halfhourintern.com, my website. You can email me through there. And uh, if there is another job or hobby that you don't do, but you just want to hear about it, you can submit any sort of idea through the Submit Your Ideas link on the page. Thanks again for listening. Take care.